0: Good morning, students. Uh, Glad to have you here in the theater today. And uh, we're continuing our series in the New Testament. Today, we're going to be talking about the Corinthian church there. First Corinthians, uh, one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. So open your Bibles, turn over there with me. I want to try to uh, give you a summary just in 10 words or less. Here's what uh, the book of Corinthians is about. An apostle, and that apostle being Paul, an apostle tackles sin problems in the Corinthian church. I mean, What you'll find is you read Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, man, the church is full of challenges, of problems, of sin. Uh, Paul has established his church much earlier. Uh, Paul stays there for 18 months and then he leaves to go off and to uh, promote other churches and other works of the gospel but man they are like messed up so uh, the Corinthian church is a messy church it's a messed up church and he has to like write trying to correct them he even since Timothy his protege sends him to him say hey can you straighten them out and man there's just all kind of challenges but in Acts 18 we see that uh, Paul sets up this church and then he helps he's like the founder of it uh, what and incredible founder i mean can you imagine man paul's the founder of the church but while in ephesus he's off on this other journey he learns that they're in serious disputes there and they're having problems and they're not able to work through some things so he tries to give spiritual counsel and apostleship and authority as he speaks into the life i want you to turn there in first corinthians though turn over first corinthians 1 verses uh, 17 listen listen to this it says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, the, the whole Christian faith hangs on that. It hangs on the cross. And in the cross, we find our salvation. In the cross, we find God's amazing love. This uh, instrument of uh, humiliation, of torture. That's where Christ finds himself hanging, giving his life freely as a ransom for many, a propitiation for our sins. Man, Christ gives it up. We, we talked about propitiation last weekend uh, during the book of Romans. But man, Christ uh, kills it there. He, he just gives it up. And when I think about the cross, man, we've tried to glamorize, we've tried to uh, honor, we've tried to make the cross beautiful. But I got to tell you, there's nothing beautiful about the cross. I mean, the cross is, is cruel. The cross is, uh, is harsh. It's hard. I mean, our Savior gives us literal life at the cross. I mean, he sheds his blood. For The scripture says, for without well, the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. So, I mean, it ha- has to happen at the cross. So, every time you walk into a sanctuary, every time you see a cross, I hope you'll be reminded here of Corinthians where Paul just goes, man, the cross needs to be emptied. It needs to be poured out and that power of God just is unleashed through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And church problems is is a apostle paul talks about that's really nothing new i mean there's always been church problems there always will be church problems you know why because there's people there's you and there's me and we're going to just not always live in harmony as a human race but hey thanks be to god who gives us the holy spirit that tries to correct and uh, walk us through that we won't have a messed up fellowship i want to start with a little quiz now i don't want you to yell out the answers or anything this is a true fault so hey don't be cheating don't be looking at anybody else's paper just mark down if you think this statement's true or if you think this statement's false and I do it. So here we go. Number one, first century churches were free of conflicts, quarrels, and cliques. Were they? True or false? Secondly, no church ever started by Paul ever struggled with immorality or marital problems. True or false? Number three, sound biblical teaching is sufficient to keep a church healthy. Do you think that's true? Number four, love always flows freely from an assembly of well-taught Christians. And the final statement, the fifth one, affluence guarantees generosity. A wealthy church, therefore, must always be a given church. True or false? All those statements are false. I mean, if you've hung around the church, if you've read the Bible, if you've read Corinthians, you're going... Oh my goodness, I I mean, I knew those were false. Those were not true statements. And it's pretty clear that the church uh, needed instruction, it needed correction, it needed to be rebuked, it needed to get on the right track. But there's some background uh, facts about this uh, area of, of the world where it happens because... If you look at Corinth, there, it's the original sin city. It would be like Las Vegas today. It's like, man, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens there at Corinth, It's like, man, it's like the neck of Greece. It's this really tough place. But there's some things I want to tell you. Number one, it's got great location. I mean, it sits there between the Mediterranean, the GNC. It's a kind of a, a center of commerce for trade. There's a lot of things flowing among the people. Uh, Athens is to the north. It's an attractive city. Uh, man, it's just location. In real estate, they teach us this. They say, and if you want to sell a piece of property or you're looking for something, location, location, location. Well, oh, that's what we find here at the Corinthian Church, man. Their location is spectacular. It's what you'd want. It's located right where it wants to be. Uh, it's an affluent. It's the business center of Greece. Uh, it's the, the wealthy there. They, they do business. They have a lot of commerce going on. It's the intellectual center of the, of the day. It's heavily populated. There are hundreds of thousands of people that are running in and out of there and the other one is it's sexually saturated and and paul talks about what a sexually consumed society there's a, a a quote that comes from uh the philosopher plato and he says this he goes she's a Corinthian girl. That is not a good term, young ladies. If you go, she's a Corinthian girl, you're saying, man, she's a lady of ill repute. She's loose. She's a lady of the night. In, in in that area, in those mountains, they would come down, a thousand prostitutes would come down into the region and they would like do their business. They would practice their, what they sold. Yeah, yeah, you get it. And And they would do their deal and then they would go back up to the top. And I mean, it was just, I mean, I can't imagine gathering here this morning before you came to the theater, there were like prostitutes on the steps and you had to like push them out of the way or you, you go home to your local church and and there's like prostitutes. I mean, it was just, man, it was, it was so uh, consumed with sex. It was like the predominant thought. I mean, it sounds kind of like America today in, in a lot of ways. And it's also, it also was an entertainment center. It had a stadium where they would have the great games of the day. So man, it was just a, a, a tremendous place. So it had great location. Number two, it had great beginning because it was launched by the Apostle Paul. You know, I happen to be <clears throat> the founder here of this ministry and of, of, of the Church of Montgomery Christ Community, and that's a, a humbling honor. But man, it's an upgrade, man! If you get the Apostle Paul to be your your founding pastor, I mean, my goodness, I mean, you only they there eighteen months, but man, what a great teacher! And they had great resources; they were well taught. They had great intellectual minds that came in and taught them the scriptures and the Word, and then the most uh, learning of the day was in that center. And then the other thing was they had great problems. Now, a lot of times we think, I mean, what's the problem? What, you know, life is filled with problems. Let me just share with you some problems they had. Number one, chapter one through four, they had a problem with unity. I mean, unity was off the chart. Uh, they didn't have it. Chapter five through six, they were dealing with sin. Chapter seven, they were dealing with the marriage relationships and about divorce. In chapter eight through 10, they had disputes over doctrine. They would fight over the basics of faith. In chapter 11, they had worship wars. In chapter 12 through 14, man, they dealt with spiritual gifts and they wanted to fight over that. Chapter 15, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they wanted to fight over the resurrection. What did that mean? What did it not mean? And then chapter 16, they wanted to, uh, it deals with their selfishness. They were a selfish people. And this book clearly delineates that. There's some things if you wanted to go chapter 1 through chapter 6, verse 20, corrections. Problems that the Corinthians found themselves dealing with. Uh, Number one. They had great divisiveness. There were divisions in the church. The church was splitting. Uh, They needed a need for unity. Then there goes on in chapter five. He talks about discipline being in the church. Chapter six, he begins to talk to lawyers and disputes in the court and lawsuits and how do we deal with that? And then he goes to chapter six nine through twenty. He says there's defilement. They're becoming like the world. They are extremely worldly. Now, if you pick up chapter seven and you go through the end, then instructions come from Paul and he begins to try to pound. These principles. If y'all practice these things, you'll be godly in Christ Jesus. He talks about marriage. He talks about idolatry. He talks about public worship. He talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about the resurrection. And then they have the questions about giving. I mean, that's just kind of a quick outline synopsis of what it means to be uh, in the Corinthian church and what they're dealing with. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, turn there. It says, "Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord." Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, so Paul, he's the founder. He loves the Corinthian church. I mean, he he's crazy about these people. He's led many of them to Christ, and uh, uh, but his words would like they would go out, but they would fall on deaf ears. People. Didn't really listen. They didn't practice the admonition that he had given them in Christ. Uh, so he sends Timothy, as I said earlier to him, and to deal with this conflict, this divisiveness. And man, that didn't help a lot. So here's what I want to say today. Who is your allegiance to? Is it to a person? Is it to a leader? Is it to a group of people? Or is it to Jesus Christ? That's my whole heart for this ministry here at Troy Momentum is that you would be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, that you would yield, surrender afresh, even today, daily, that you would follow Christ. I'm allegiant to Christ. I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and no other. There's no other gods above Christ. Christ is my God. Christ is my master. Christ is my Lord. And, and therefore, the result would be Christ Jesus would lead you. 1 Corinthians and we're going to be back and forth here. Look at First Corinthians chapter six. Look at verse 12. Critical verse. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, you know, he's talking to him here uh, uh, about, you know, everything's beneficial. And when I think about that, you know, we take all these liberties. And, and, and Christ died that we could be liberated, that we could be free. Absolutely. I do not want to be a legalist. I don't want to call you to be into legalism, man. There's no fun in there. There's no joy. The, the Holy Spirit's not free to rule. But just to think that I've got this new freedom means I'm just going to do what I want to do, man. You've, you've freedom because i mean there's some things that we just don't need to do like uh, uh people sometimes want freedom to get a license to live the way they please i as pastor a lot of times people ask me is it okay for me to do this can i do that they are looking for me to give them an ecclesiastical loophole they want me to say you you've read you've the scriptures you're training that can you show me how i can get around with this let me just say this to you you ought to know right there, there is a problem if you're going to God's Word, trying to say, God, I, I sense you're leading me to do this, but I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? God, is there a way around this? Can I feel good? I, I tell you what I've learned about being pastor. People come to me often, and they want me to bless what they're doing. Because somehow, as an agent of God, as an agent of the church, as a priest of the Most High Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they want to know, as a leader, will you bless this activity, and then I can feel good about my activity i'll be this bold can i feel good about my sin man if you're going to scripture and you're looking to see god did you really say man you need to go back and read the old testament in genesis god really did say he, he, he speaks profoundly he gives us commandments he gives us precepts he also gives us uh principles that we've been covering this year and we need to begin to to listen to that and say god what are you saying to me speak to me clearly so sometimes it could be legitimate but it's just stupid there's just some things you just don't need to do. You're saying, but it's permissible, but it's going to cause your brother or sister to stumble and fall. You need to be concerned as a mature believer in Jesus Christ. Will this cause them to to fall away? Will it cause them to drift? You have a responsibility to one another. In 1 Corinthians ten twenty three, let's just turn over a few pages. He begins. He, he continues this theme because he wants them to hear. In ten twenty three, he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Paul repeats himself. Well, the Holy Spirit does, and he's trying to tell us, look, I want you to do the right thing. Uh, so write, write in your notes today. Can I do this stuff and be a Christian? Can I do this stuff and be a Christ follower? Check in with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can check in with uh, people that are discipling here on this campus and campus ministries. You're certainly talking to Mike. He's always here every weekend for you. Hey, you can call me, email me. Man, I'd love to talk with you, try to help you process and walk through some things. But there's some things that you're just like... I just need to let go of that stuff, not help me draw a line and and not see how close you can get to the world. That's what's happened to Western America or the Western world. America is that we try to see how close can I get to sin and and not be polluted by it. Man, Christ wants us to be holy and blameless before Him, and, and pulled away. In First Corinthians, He talks about marriage and food and worship and all these things. First Corinthians thirteen, He begins. It's the love chapter. Uh, man, you read that, and a lot of you'll have it read at your ceremony one day when you get married, and you're like, "Man, I love love, and I agape the Father, and I, you know, and I love this person, and you want to practice all the levels of love. But I want to give you four assassins to love. These four things can kind of. Uh, Kill the love relationship. I want you to listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's turn there, and I want you to look there at verse 5. He says, it is not rude, talking about love, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. And when he talks about that, I think he's talking to us there about, about rudeness. That's the first one. Rudeness will Kill the relationship, uh, with your spouse, with another person in a dating relationship, even with fellow friends, coworkers, whatever. It's, uh, you know, it's just like, it, it's, it's shameful. It's embarrassing. It's like, and, and man, Christians, they're, they're some of the rudest people I know and it shouldn't be. I mean, we need to be clothed in humility and compassion and treat others with decency and respect. So no rudeness. Secondly, don't have a rival spirit that you are so self-centered, self-consumed, that you're driven by the desire of your flesh that you want to do when you want to do it, because that breeds conflict. It breeds uh, distrust, and there's not a place for it. And then you, you think about uh, that you're always talking about yourself, and you're not considering the other person better than yourself. So get rid of rudeness. Get rid of having a rival spirit the third point an assassin is just rage i mean you're easily angered you're you're provoked hey in this room today does anybody does anybody provoke anybody in this room no don't point fingers no, that's not what i'm asking but we know what it is that some people have the uh ability to provoke us to do things we shouldn't do. And you see that, I see that a lot in marriage counseling where, you know, or maybe parents and kids and they provoke their children and the scriptures forbids that. But I'm just saying, hey, God, help us to not uh, scream and yell or even give verbal attacks because that's really being rude and it's really being, uh, it could lead to rage. And the fourth one is resentment. In Corinthians, he says, keep no record of wrongs. Don't don't keep scoring your relationship when things are going south or they're going bad. I mean, y'all are in dating relationships. Some of you are maybe engaged or going to get married this year over the next few years and you're, you're longing for those relationships, but love keeps no record of wrongs. Man, that is one of the key principles for practicing a healthy marriage is just, hey, give it up to the Lord, forgive the other person, forget it, and move on. Just get over it. But a lot of people get stuck. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church there of God in Corinth, they were sanctified in Christ Jesus. They were called to be a holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. They were, remember we talked about last weekend, sanctification. They were set apart for the purposes of God. Now, there's some problems here in the church, and I want you to see this. Number one, there's division in the church. They were a quarreling... um, People that really wanted their way. There were internal divisions within them, and it was causing strife in relationships. It was causing a strife in their soul. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, turn down there. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Uh we we've just talked recently about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, but we want to be united. I'm just curious today, have any of you come from churches or been a part of a church in your pilgrimage with the Lord that have, have had a split or been a part of a division? Just raise your hands. You ever been a part of a division? Yeah. It's not very fun. I mean that I think God for our unity here and that we can unify in Christ Jesus and we can agree on the essentials and agree to disagree on some other stuff. But Paul here, he calls a timeout. A timeout, guys. There, that's not the church. That's not the church of the living Christ. Stop arguing. Have harmony of my spirit, of my love. Now the question is, are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? You've got to make that decision. Some people have, they think it's a gift. It's from the pit of hell. I'm just a troublemaker. I bring dissension wherever I find myself. Other people go, well, hey, I'm a peacemaker. I bring harmony and I don't want to have conflict. And, and we certainly need those in the church. But he goes on and he talks about you know, they're worldly, and they're spiritual, and they're mature, and worldly, some people get all messed up on that in churches, I mean, you know, we're a very contemporary church here in Montgomery, here at Momentum, man, y'all have an amazing worship band and team, and I just love the Spirit, but some people go, y'all are worldly, those drums, man, you gotta get those drums out, they're worldly, or you gotta get the electric guitar, man, that's just, you know, that's not from God, or you can't do this, or you got your shirt tail out, pastor, I mean, you know, you should wear a coat and tie or a tux next weekend, I mean, man, what does that got to do with being worldly? Here's what Paul... Paul... Paul said, they quarrel. they're jealous, they're envious. Man, that's what it means to be worldly. The solution, listen to this. It's a mature focus. They had a mature focus. Uh, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 3, he says here, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you not baptized into the name of... Uh, uh, or are you baptize into the name of Paul. Certainly not. They, and Paul's trying to say this. Focus on the Lord. Don't focus on the music. Focus on the Lord. Don't focus on the leader. Focus on Jesus. Make him the focus. So the key to spiritual growth is always going to be focus, proper focus. Now, um, The believer's allegiance, as I said earlier, has to be to Christ. Let's go to the second one. The problem is integrity in the church. It's kind of gone out the window, and they don't have a lot. And the question is, am I pure in my relationship with the opposite sex, or am I compromising? Am I compromising? Now, uh, here uh, he begins to really speak to them hard because, man, they they were filled with sin in their fellowship and their small groups, and he's just trying to say, hey, we we got to get some things right. We we got to we got to figure this out. So, in um, in the scripture here. They were flagrant in sexual immorality. They would just run and ramp it. They, they were consumed with it. They uh they were here's what sexual sin does: it destroys you both physically and spiritually, mentally, relationally. I mean, that's why God's like, man, you need to flee this. You need to, you need to run from this. And um, like, you know, man, if you're a red blooded male thinking today, I mean, man you, man, you know, don't you even girls here, man, you struggle probably with some different sexual temptations or sins. And God's like, man, you need to flee this. You need to cast this off. You know, like with Potiphar's son there, we ran from Potiphar's wife, Joseph. there, mean, he's like getting out. I mean, I got to flee. Run, baby, run. I, I got to get away from this. I mean, that's a solution every time when sexual temptation, sin presents itself, you flee, you run, you get out of there. On this campus, I am assured through television, movie, media, music, but men, your relationships, and, and just a quick word, just girls, young women, daughters. How you dress? I mean, how does that draw attention to your body or does it draw attention to your king? Just begin to uh, think through that. Listen to this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body, says Paul. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You were therefore bought with a price. And as you were bought with a price, therefore now honor God with your body. Man, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that. And there's something I wanted to just share with y'all here today I thought might be helpful. Um, guys, can I speak to y'all? Just, I know we're a mixed group. I'm excited about that, but I just want to share some things with you that I found this thing called Search My Heart Life Action Ministries years ago. And I just want to, this is not in your notes, but you might want to just write this down. Guys, do you find yourself surfing through TV channels? Do you find yourself just wasting time looking for immodesty? Write down the scripture, Job 31.1, about what you'll do with your eyes. Uh, do, guys, do you tend to look inappropriately at women at, at their body parts? Do you just find yourself kind of obsessing? Guys, do you purposely drive by uh, billboards that you know are illicit that are not good for your thought and for your heart life um, guys Proverbs 6 through 25 do you find yourself flipping through magazines looking for things that you know are not good for your spirit man and, or, and then last question do you find yourself hiding some sexual habit is there pornography that you're dealing with I mean I, I deal with that so much in the church and I'm just saying guys this is a thing for you that might help you but women I, I want to give you a couple here you go girls it's your turn Proverbs twelve two. Do you find yourself fantasizing about other men because some of what you see in the movies and the billboards? Secondly, would you rather talk about personal issues with uh uh with uh maybe a man versus some of your girlfriends that could maybe try to help you do that? Do you read books or articles that stimulate wrongful passions, young women? Romans six, thirteen through twenty-one. Uh in first Timothy chapter two, nine through ten. Listen to this. Do I dress in a way that will attract inappropriate attention from young men girls you're you you know you you can judge that for yourself but god has called us to be holy and blameless to him and to bless him and uh to honor him with our bodies and and so during these during these years but i mean it's gonna be the rest of your life temptations what do you look at what do you what do you view who do you date is that pleasing to the lord is that a uh i like the word i think i shared it before here date d-a-t-e divine appointment to edify That's what a true date is. That's a biblical date that you're purposing to honor Jesus Christ, men and women, by how you act and how you treat and how you dress and what you do with your life. Man, it's just a a good practical word from from God. Let me give you a word, though, because I would be remiss if I didn't share this. 1 Corinthians 10.13 man a phenomenal you ought to write this on a three by five memorize it you ought to put it on your visor of your car your truck but listen to what Paul says no temptation has seized you except what is what common to man and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted and every one of us is going to be tempted I'll assure you that he says but when you are tempted he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it look For the way of escape. God wants to give you an escape if we'll run to him. And Corinthians is 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 just full of us getting this biblical truth of God. How can you begin to speak into our life? How can you uh, make us strong that we finish the race well, that we honor Christ all the way? The third problem in the Corinthian church was service. Man, they were having problems with service. They didn't want to serve. So the, the question is, are you a spectator or are you a servant? Do you merely spectate the things of the kingdom or do you serve the purposes of God with purpose and passion? Um, you know, for this ministry to go on here at this university, many of you arrive early, you're on the prayer team, you're on the setup team, you're in the band, uh, you do publicity, do marketing, you're, you're working on missions, you're doing local outreaches. I'm telling you, see some of our leadership here they would love to involve you we want to get you involved we want to do more we want to reach out farther around this city on this campus uh throughout our, our state throughout the world i mean we, we want to do more mission trips with y'all and but so don't just uh, go through college and go man it's all about me no it's about the purposes of god and, and serving what he has in chapter 12 verse 1 paul speaks about spiritual gifts and he tells he tells them this now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. In one translation, I don't want you to be ignorant. Don't be stupid. Know that you have been given a gift. I believe you've been given gifts, plural, a gift mix. But you use those gifts, you offer those gifts to God. I want you to look at, uh, that's the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul speaks about spiritual gifts, really worthy of your time to study. But look at chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Verse 6. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them and all of them, or he works in all of us. And, 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 and through the Spirit. And here's what I want you to know: is that when you take your gifts, that the Father, the Holy Spirit gives you gifts. So you take your gifts, you put them in service to the Lord, as you take your spiritual gifts, offer them to God in service, then the Bible says this: catch it: God works, He works. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit dwells with great power and energy and force, and he works in you that he might work through you. And my prayer is that you're going to begin to say, I want to be a servant of Christ. I want to serve what he's got for me in these college years. And specifically on this campus, make Christ known. Here's the fourth one, the last one. The problem, selfishness. They were so selfish. They're like, man, it's mine. No, it's yours. You know, nothing's really ours. It's all alone. Uh, the Scripture teaches that we're stewards. We're managers; would be the word you know. You're uh, business management, marketing. You know about being a manager. You're just managing what God provides. You're managing the resources. It, it, it's really God's car. It's really God's money. It's really God's possessions. You're like, well, no, it's mine. I will pay for it. Well, God gave you the ability to do that, and He wants you to offer it back to Him. But the question is, how am I handling my resources? And, and so I want to walk through this with you because Paul really talks to them because they're messed up and he's trying to correct them and he's trying to teach them about giving. And listen to this. The solution here is always about generosity. The solution is if you want to be blessed, if you want to have God's heart, if you want to do what honors the Lord, you become a generous person. We have the most generous God for God so loved the world that he, he what? He gave. God gave Christ. God is a giving God. And God invites us to uh, imitate and to follow after him and to follow that. So listen to this p- point 8. Giving is always a part of worship. Uh, you know here at Memento we're not real good about taking up offerings I and mean, there's a lot of baskets at the back and man and that you know sometimes you know we buy equipment and t-shirts and all this stuff but bottom line is we've been basically funding that but right now I think there's a, a, a clean water you know fresh water y'all, y'all are doing these wealth projects and stuff and man I encourage you to give and give unto the Lord but you give generously you worship the, the scriptures on the first day of the week and it says of every of, of every week on, on the first day of every week look at point B give Giving should not only be an act of worship, it should be consistent. Uh, every week we give, God, I, I bring. Lord, I give my offering to you. And he goes on point C. Giving is for everyone, each person. It's not just for the rich in here or the poor or the middle income. It's for everyone should give what they have. And follow with me, point D. Giving should be proportionate in keeping with your income. Some of you have more money than others. So you, you would give, and, and I hear this a lot. It's like, or proportionate. I'm only a college student. Let me let me tell you, right here on this very campus, I met Jesus Christ. And it was on this campus, I made a, a commitment to the lordship of Jesus that meant Jesus Christ became Lord and I decided to orientate my life around him, follow him, and I learned about tithing. And I remember when I was here, my income was, uh, a tithe on that was five bucks. And I gave five bucks. And then and then I made some more money and I gave more. And then we got married and gave a lot more. And here's what I learned. It's a lot easier to tithe on $10 or $100 than it is $1,000. And God just wants to know that if if we grapple with the things of this world and we become worldly, and Paul's like, I don't want you to be worldly, I want you to be Christ-like. So I just encourage you in this matter of giving, give unto the Lord. Be faithful. Start where you are. And, and point E, this is critical. Giving should be unpressured. It should be led by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I came that no collection would have to be made because he wanted them to be a giving people and they were consistently giving to the Lord. Giving is a sign of the heart, giving is a sign of worship. Giving is an act of obedience to the Lord. And in this letter, I just see that Paul is filling us with instruction to be more godly in Christ Jesus, that we can fellowship with his Son, that we can have the blessing of God on our life, if we'll obey him in all things. Hey, uh, man, I just love teaching this to you. And next weekend, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. I hope you'll go ahead and read ahead this week. In this uh, next week, 2 Corinthians, let's pray together. Father, you're an amazing God, and I thank you for these students at this university and what you're doing in their hearts. And God, I pray that we would somehow find ourselves, even today, abandoning ourselves afresh, that we would submit, that we would surrender, that we would yield to you, Lord Jesus, and that you would be Lord. That there would be no division, but there would be unity and the bond of peace, that we would have the mind of Christ and follow after Jesus all our days. And while here at this university, God, I pray that these students would not be ashamed, but they would make Jesus Christ known. God, come and honor your son through our very lives in Jesus Christ. Amen.